Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 43rd episode of 2021. You know, comments are due tomorrow to the FCC to refresh the record on the multi-tenant environment proceeding. Uh, the Fiber Broadband Association will be filing comments to urge the FCC to create a streamlined process to address barriers that are resulting from agreements between building owners and a service provider. In other words, we're going to ask the FCC to establish an expedited complaint process. On the workforce development front, states and their community colleges across the country have been reaching out to the Fiber Broadband Association with great interest in our fiber optics technician workforce development program. You know, I heard from Virginia and Louisiana yesterday, and we have a call today uh, with Mississippi. Our optics program development is largely complete and we're preparing for our pilot in Wilson, North Carolina. On the bipartisan infrastructure bill front, it seems like every week I'm telling you that the speaker is getting close to getting this bill to the floor for a vote. But as I've been saying for weeks, the infrastructure bill has strong support and should pass without amendments. Unfortunately, this bill continues to be held hostage by the reconciliation package. So the Rules Committee plans to meet today to set the rule for floor debate that should lead to the House passage of both bills tomorrow. So um, hopefully I don't come back next week and say, well, didn't happen last week. But anyway, I'm I'm feeling feeling like we're getting some momentum there. Um, that said, you know, it's not really clear what the effects of yesterday's elections are going to have. So that's another little wild card here. So we'll keep you posted. But hopefully you'll hear see a note from me sometime the tomorrow talking about um, the passage of this $65 billion for broadband. On November 4th, which is tomorrow, is Give Me Fiber Day. We'll be announcing the winner of the Dr. Charles K.O. Award for Community Broadband. Dr. Charles K.O., uh, regarded by many as the father of fiber optics, revolutionized the transmission of data and laid the foundation for fiber connectivity around the world. This Fiber Broadband Association Award recognizes individuals, organizations, or companies that honor Dr. Kao's innovation and connect communities with fiber optic technology. So I hope you all join us tomorrow, November 4th, between 2 and 4 p.m. Eastern with fiber-focused tweets using the hashtag, give me fiber, or excuse me, give me FBA. So let's move to this morning's Fiber for Breakfast session. Today's topic is 100% Fiber optic network assets is taking Ponca City by storm. Um, and good morning, everyone. I'm Gary Bolton, the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, last week we met with the Common Ground Alliance, who shared with us from best practices to next practices, breaking new ground and damage prevention. You know, it was shocking to hear there's been nearly 130,000 damages or incidents affecting underground telecommunications equipment. That's 44% higher than the next most commonly damaged industry, which is natural gas. Hopefully, the best practices that Sarah shared will help you significantly reduce costs with damage prevention. 
Today, we'll be discussing 100% fiber optic network access is taking Ponca City by storm with Dave Williams of Ponca City and a member of the Fiber Broadband Association's Public Officials Working Group. Dave Williams was born in Ponca City, Oklahoma, but grew up in Seattle, Washington. His education and the majority of his career in technology happened in areas ranging from education, law, publishing, and medical centers. He moved back to Ponca City in 2007 and began working for the city in 2016, where he serves as the technology services director. In addition to the more or less regular technology duties of managing all aspects of technology used throughout the city's operations, Dave worked out the final details of a fiber to home project and oversees the implementation and growth of one of the fastest and most reliable internet service um, Ponca City has ever seen. Ponca City Broadband offers 100% fiber optic internet access, and Dave loves to talk about it, uh, about this additional feather in the bonnet of Ponca City Utility Services. So welcome, Dave. Glad to have you here. And for our audience, please type in your questions as we go, because um, we're gonna have Q&A at the end. Um, so over to you, Dave. All right, well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Excuse me, thanks for having me on the show, Gary. I normally only get a few seconds during our monthly public official meetings to tell members about the progress in Ponca City, so I'm delighted to be here today. Ponca City is located in north central Oklahoma, just east of the I-35 corridor. The executive director of our development authority likes to refer to Ponca as being a micropolitan area, which he then defines as a city with a population over 25,000 in a county whose population is under 50,000. Even though we have the feeling of being a small town, we're pretty much the center of activity throughout the county. What I love most about Ponca is the closeness and warmth of knowing my neighbors without that rush hour madness associated with the larger metropolitan areas. When anybody here needs the big city fix, we're less than 90 minutes away from Tulsa, Oklahoma City, or Wichita. Like I said, we're a small town, but we have a lot of big things going for us. Historically, the economy in Ponca City centered around the petroleum refinery business. Through an assortment of mergers, acquisitions, and a shifting of the labor resources there, though, the economic driver that kept getting smaller and smaller here in Ponca City uh, kind of concerned our development authority. And here about 30 years ago, they kicked it into high gear to diversify our economy. In the late 1990s, uh, a university center opened here in town, and its mission is to provide multiple degree programs locally from most of the other uh, Oklahoma colleges. We've also been fortunate enough to attract some rather large industrial uh, partners. Uh, World-famous Cook Shack smokers and barbecuers are built here. Head Country Barbecue, which is in the top 10 nationwide share leaders of barbecue sauces, seasonings, and marinades are made here. We've got a nationwide grocery chain distribution center in town. And if you eat chicken nuggets, 60 million pounds of them are produced here every year. Our industrial center also includes a Johnson Controls facility. Vacuum made, central vacuums are made here. And we have a host of other high-end machine and fabrication shops. But our development authority is also now taking advantage of and getting a lot of mileage out of our broadband network system to further diversify our employer pool not only in attracting, uh, attracting new ones, but retaining existing ones. Uh, let me give you the two minute, 25 year history of fiber optics in Ponca. The city began hanging fiber in 1996 for its own needs in connecting city buildings and operating our private business network. 
that effort continued for several years, growing to include our public school system, the university center, and our local hospital. By 2005, there was enough fiber throughout town to begin offering local businesses access to it, and Ponca City took the first real steps in becoming an internet service provider. Around the same time, Ponca City also began implementing several smart city initiatives. One of them included a muni-wide Wi-Fi network system. This was meant to support our police, fire, and utility departments, giving them a way to connect to the city's private network from their vehicles while out in the field. But by 2007, using revenues generated from our growing business broadband service, that network evolved into a citywide free Wi-Fi system. This isn't just hotspots. This Wi-Fi is available everywhere throughout the city using 85 gateway devices and 420 repeater nodes. The next evolution of our fiber optic network was a vision from our city commissioners. 100% fiber optic network access to everyone inside the city limits. See, Ponca City is blessed with very forward-thinking leadership, and our commissioners saw the need for adequate bandwidth and access to the internet as being critical for our continued growth and sustainability as a city. They believe our residents deserve the same level of internet access that's available to anyone living in any larger cities. Now, at this point, most people ask, if you already offer free Wi-Fi, why contemplate the expense and trouble of a fiber to the home project? And the answer is actually simple. Our free Wi-Fi system works for what it was intended for, but it doesn't meet the current needs of residents accessing the internet. It's great for sending emails, checking social media, and maybe ordering something online, but it wasn't meant for streaming videos, hosting online game rooms, or any of the other bandwidth intensive activities most people are using for the internet today. When Ponca City began looking at fiber to the home, we already had about 140 miles of fiber in the air. The original plan was to use everything we already had and just build onto it from there. It was around this time that I actually came into the picture and I began meeting with the Fiber to the Home Working Committee. I looked at the plan that was in place at the time and rather than turn around and run like a smart person, I began studying other municipalities that had undertaken such a project. I looked at both the successful ones as well as the failures. Projects like this usually succeed or fail for a reason. And one of the first things I embraced with the project in Ponca was very simple. It absolutely could not fail for two reasons. The money it would take to do this was substantial and several careers and reputations were on the line because of it. But I quickly saw several positive indicators Ponca City could actually succeed. First of all, we have four other utility services, util uh, electric, water, wastewater, and solid waste. And as a funding mechanism for this project, they have been invaluable. The city's logo attached to this project provided built-in trust. Since we have an electric utility, we own the utility poles. We had 20 years of historic fiber optic background and knowledge going for us. Uh, with our business broadband offering, we even knew the basics of what being an ISP was all about. And lastly, we had several built-in shared services that this new utility service would be able to leverage. A finance department with a utility billing application, uh, an energy department with bucket trucks should emergencies come up requiring additional manpower, and other utility departments that were already familiar with locating and working around underground assets. At this point, two other things became apparent to me. I knew what I knew, and I also knew what I didn't know. I've designed and implemented networks and data centers, but I've never engineered anything quite like this. 
rather than take a chance that I'd overlook something or get something wrong, we hired a professional engineer to design the entire citywide network. They helped us break the project into five implementation phases, and they continued to provide construction management services as these phases are being built. In the end, we decided to do a complete overbuild rather than use anything that was already in operation. The overall cost change in this approach was actually a little less than $100,000 because we wouldn't have to re-engineer everything that was already there to make it work within the new infrastructure. We also didn't risk any loss of service or even interruptions to the existing network, which we refer to as our legacy system. It will remain in operation until the new outside plant is completely finished and we can move all of those endpoints over to it. And after that, the legacy system will be abandoned in place until time allows for us to wreck it out or until another need for the space on the utility pole comes up. Now, in studying the other failed attempts I mentioned earlier, a pattern emerged. I use a lot of vehicle analogies when talking about technology and this time I'll use a bus. In most projects, it's not only important to have the correct people on the bus, it's even more important to have them in the right seats. In this case, the three necessary people or groups, if you will, are technology, finance, and politics in the form of our commissioners and mayor. Technology really isn't on the bus, it's just the mechanic. And in that role, technology's job is to make sure the bus operates correctly. Finance is the real driver of a project like this. And without that driver, bankruptcy happens more often than not. The commissioners and mayor are important, but after they give the actual go-ahead, they really just need to sit in the back seat and enjoy the ride. Big technology projects like this involving major amounts of capital funding need to be implemented using mathematical formulas that take into account things like housing density and access to easements, which directly relates to the cost per home passed and income demographics, which directly relates to any potential take rate. The last thing a project like this needs is to be steered by political favoritism. More often than not, the failed examples I studied were built out in the more affluent or politically connected neighborhoods first. They were doomed from the start because they were overburdened by construction costs and couldn't pay the debt they created. Well, let's take a look at how we approach this in Ponca City. The city is divided from east to west by North 14th Street, the red line on the map there. 35% of our population lives on the east side of that street. And while it's true they tend to have higher income levels and are certainly expected to sign up for the new service in higher numbers, due to the nature of the housing on that side of town, 52% of the total construction costs will be spent there. Those properties tend to be larger, therefore they're further apart, and there's considerably more underground utilities on that side of town. The overall cost of construction or what's called the cost per home past ratio is extremely high there, in other words. Our plan involved replacing financial realities and doing just the opposite of what several other cities did. We started on the west side of town where housing is much denser, utility easements offer easier access for installation. And with 65% of the population living there, even if our actual take rate was lower than planned, the overall volume should more than make up for that. This approach also provided an opportunity to build a revenue stream and already have it in place to pay the larger construction debt on the other side of town. Now, I mentioned earlier that having four utilities was a plus for this project, and here's the details behind that statement. The first phase of this project was actually funded by cash reserves from those utility funds, 
which provided the luxury of not needing to focus on the initial take rate. There was no debt to re retire, so we got to focus on operational rather than marketing issues. Phase two and three of our project uh, were funded by a loan from additional utility reserve funds and will require debt reduction payments. And due to the cost of construction in phases four and five, the financing mechanism there will be a little different. Uh, we took a 10-year bank loan backed by the revenue stream from the other utility departments. Now, when we opened the doors for uh, our residential service uh, on July 8, 2019, we were in front of 1,900 homes. It was actually about 1,921, I think. Uh, in August of uh, 2021, we accepted complete ownership of phases two and three, which put us in front of another 8,000 homes and businesses. Phase four and five will add another 5,200 to our customer base, bringing us to a total of around 15,100 potential customers. We're actually preparing to build the final two phases now with an estimated uh, construction start date of December this year, finishing up in December of 2022. Our customer growth the first two years was rather slow, but that was primarily due to the lack of advertising. It didn't make sense to spend any money mass marketing something that was only available to a little less than 10% of our residents. Now that service is available on the entire west side of town though, our customer numbers have been exploding. We installed more customers this past August than we did in the entire calendar year of 2020. September was higher yet, and October continued to see the same trend. Customer reactions to the service have been phenomenal. I hear a lot of positive comments about how fast and robust the service is. People have never seen internet speeds like we're providing them. And I use that as a means to ramp up my own personal marketing approach. I love to tell people that what sets Ponca City uh, broadband apart from the competition is this. No contracts, no asterisks, no data caps, no fluctuating monthly prices, no kidding. Our customers don't get up to the bandwidth they subscribe to. They should never get less than that amount. In other words, they simply get what they pay for every time and all the time. We're not fiber rich and we don't have a lot of fiber. We are 100% fiber optic. There's nothing else anywhere else in our system. And you absolutely cannot beat the speed, throughput, and reliability of fiber optic networks. Now, I hear about what other cities charge for services throughout the broadband association, and I'm usually really impressed with the bandwidths and uh, more specifically, the monthly prices they offer. Uh, the competition here provided some benchmarks for us when formulating our rate structures and well, all I can say is we must be remote enough that costs are higher than everywhere else because our gold plan offers 50 megabits down, 25 megabits up at $60 a month. Platinum service is 100 megabits down, 50 megabits up at $100 a month. And our diamond service is a full gigabit down with 500 megabits up at 250 a month. Now, we can install these offerings in a business environment, but I carefully point out the differences between these and our uh, uh, competing commercial product. Commercial customers get symmetrical bandwidth, static IP addresses, and the uh, ability to add additional IP space if needed. They also get a four-hour service level agreement. Now, our actual average time between the report of a problem and resolution is just under 60 minutes, but we post it as a four-hour service level. Uh, and we also provide 24 by seven truck rolls to commercial customers. 
those extra bells and whistles on the commercial plan, especially the four hour service level with 24 by seven truck rolls comes with a premium price of $200 a month for 50 megabits symmetrical service. We refer to that as a unit of service and units can be aggregated for an additional $200 per month per unit to reach whatever bandwidth a commercial customer may need. Now, before I run out of time, let me briefly talk about our future. The city limits of Ponca City is not the end point for this project. There are multiple homes in the surrounding areas that are either unserved or severely underserved. Many of the other utility services Ponca City offers extend into these areas, so we'd be remiss not to seriously look at expanding there as quickly as possible. Even once those boundaries have been reached though, Ponca City Broadband is building quite a name for itself. Leaving the city limits has another potential advantage as well, that of receiving federal and state funds to help with any construction costs, uh, things such as the, the USF or Connect America, even some of the new federal ARPA funds, uh, all of that makes money the least of my concerns going forward. So, um, Gary, I think I've about used up all my time, so I'll go ahead and stop here in case there are any questions. Dave, congratulations. This is a fantastic story. So, you know, if we look at Ponca City kind of in the past, it's been largely a petroleum town. I know you have some other industries, but um, what kind of economic diversity is this 100% fiber optics providing for your community? Well, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're seeing an increase in uh, manufacturing. Uh, some logistics companies have uh, been uh, attracted to town, uh, trucking logistics. And we, you know, our, our development authority is still kind of evolving this as it goes. That uh, it, It's been able to use broadband as, as another arrow in its uh, uh, quiver or tool belt, if you will, just for the last couple of years. But uh, we, we are seeing an increase in interest. Now, to be honest, we're not seeing a big increase in actual companies coming to town yet, but the interest is there. Uh, and that, what, that, that was gone here a few years ago. So um, as, as we mature, meaning Ponca City Broadband matures, uh, and we learn how to market Ponca City even better and better to these companies, uh, we're not a big city. So we don't have all the big city amenities that, uh, uh, sometimes attract big employers. So we're learning to capitalize on the other aspect of that spectrum. We don't have all of that, but we also don't have high crime. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't have rush hour. Uh, we don't have all of the bad things associated with the, the big city environments either. Um, so with the pool of remote work becoming a front row thing, fortified by good sound broadband, do you have a strategy to go after workers who want to relocate or work remotely? And are you working with a major provider of co-work strategies? That, um, well, <clears throat> we do have uh, several folks here in town that have been able to start working from home uh, where they used to, to commute to some of the surrounding uh, areas, some uh, within a half hour, some were driving an hour a day to get to work so that they could provide remote support from an office located somewhere else. Now they're able to do that from home. Um, which uh, increases their quality of life considerably. They don't have that hour each way uh, commute to get to a job that they can actually do from their home. Uh, and some of them joke around that now they get to do it in their pajamas as well. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, when I look at like um, near me, you know, um, Jackson County, uh, Bruce Purdy of North Alabama Electric Co-op, when they put fiber in, they saw that people, you know, people had left for jobs, were able to come back home and Grandkids would want to come visit grandma because grandma had awesome internet. So um, 
I think you should see an influx of uh, people being able to take advantage of your wonderful community and your 100% um, broadband. So in building out this network, um, what it, or is this a GPON network and or ActiveE, or did you go with 10 gig pond? Or? Well, we, we went with a, a GPON that can also support ActiveE. We currently don't have any ActiveE customers, um, but the ability is, is there. Uh, our design, um, the, the engineer that designed this worked with several GIS overlays that essentially everything in town that could possibly need a strand of fiber and my challenge to them was add 30% more. And they kind of chuckled because uh, uh, the, their normal is 33 and a third percent more. So uh, they asked if that would be okay. And, and I agreed, 33 and a third percent more fiber than what was needed, it was a good deal. That provides us the ability. We don't know what's gonna, uh, what the landscape looks like in five years. What other kinds of devices will need to be connected uh, to some kind of backhaul network. Um, and, and the cost of constructing the network uh, the, the actual construction cost. The material cost is minimal compared to the construction cost. So uh, if you're hanging fiber, it always makes sense. Hang more than you need because you're going to have to come back and hang it later if you don't hang enough. Yeah, matter of fact, I just put fiber, another more fiber across my front yard yesterday. But uh, hey, uh, so who are your comp um, competitors and what services do they offer? We actually have several uh, competitors in town, some that are um, uh, kind of a higher risk than others. Um, we have a cable TV provider here in town that, uh, that offers uh, uh, internet access as well, originally called Cable One, now it's referred to as Sparklight. Um, AT&T is present here in town. Uh, we have a, a, a local competitor, it's uh, about 14 miles uh, west of us, that uh, uses Yagi antennas to beam Wi-Fi signals uh, into Ponca City. And then we've got the uh, uh, anybody with a uh, uh, kind of a satellite service provider uh, is viewed that we view them as competition, but the, the risk isn't very high uh, on those. We, we don't have a lot of people in town that get their internet through satellite. Hopefully not. Uh, no. Yeah, so um, it's kind of interesting that you went with the, um, the basically the lower income side of your town first. Um, so what was the take rate? Well, uh, we projected a 30% take rate on that side of town, 35% take rate on the, the, the west side of town. Uh, like I said, we, our growth has been slow. We have not hit 30% yet. Uh, primarily, uh, as I said earlier, we can't, uh, well, we haven't been able to advertise that. That, uh, that. that is changing here over the next couple of weeks. We'll be on uh, the, the radio stations here in town, local newspapers, local tabloids, getting the word out. <clears throat> further and further. But what, what's been the best for us so far is word of mouth advertising. And if uh, there's absolute truth in this, you cannot beat the power of word of mouth. So we put yard signs uh, in front of a home that we've just installed. And within a week, we're installing the neighbor on one side or the other or both sides of that home because the neighbors are talking to each other about it. They call that the barbecue effect. And it sounds like you guys have some pretty good barbecue there. That's right. <laughs> So we kind of we're almost out of time here, so maybe some rapid fire. So who deals with damage for prevention of the system? Um, well, we uh, actively monitor it uh, through the analytics software, uh, both in our central office, the neighborhood operations centers, all the way out to the modem installed in a, uh, in a house. I have a, a central office technician that monitors that in real time. The, the system itself actually sends out uh, email and page, uh, not pager, how about text notices? We're small enough right now that in a crisis, it would be all hands on deck. 
in a little over two years of operation, we've only had one crisis, and that was last October. We had a very early uh, uh, cold spell, um, and a lot of tree limbs fell. We lost. We didn't lose main line or distribution lines, but we lost a couple of dozen service lines. Um, and for the most part, our customers were reconnected and ready for service before electric was actually restored in, in that part of town. Well, that's great. Um, did the city hire a general contractor to do the build or did they use city resources? And uh, no. uh, can you share what your cost um, per home pass ended yeah, up being? We, we competitively bid the actual construction process, uh, but the pro uh, our project engineer actually serves uh, as a construction management uh, uh, component of that as well. That uh, So the contractor comes into town, builds it, tests it, the, the engineer certifies the test results, uh, certifies that everything was done correctly. They kind of hand us the keys on the way out of town. Well, Dave, thank you so much. Fantastic story, congratulations. And I know that your community is just gonna be doing incredibly well with um, all this fiber. Uh, so thanks for sharing your experience and insights with our audience. So next week, our topic is how public-private partnerships can accelerate efforts to close the digital divide with Jack Lynch, the COO of Education Superhighway. He's gonna discuss the role fiber players can play in increasing broadband adoption in America's most unconnected communities. So you're not gonna to wanna to miss that. Thanks for joining today, and we look forward to getting back together next Wednesday. Thanks, everyone.